Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we worship you. We adore you, Lord, and we thank you for being so good and so faithful to us, Lord. Your love endures, your mercy endures forever. And we exalt you together as a church, as a family, and as a body, Lord. We lift up the name of Jesus. We exalt high the name of Jesus. And your word says that at that name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, Father, we bow our knee. We humble ourselves before you. We submit, Lord Jesus, to your lordship. We are done being our own Lord, being our own God. You are the only one worthy. And we worship you today. We glorify you. And we invite you to manifest yourself in our time together today as we come before your word. We invite you to manifest your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, your goodness. We thank you for your healing presence, Lord, that is, that is uh, available to every single one of us. And I know, Lord, that you are ready, willing, and able to heal all those who call on you. So we call on you in faith today. Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are healer, you're our provider, you're our source, our one and only source for every good and perfect gift. So we receive it from you today. And as we come before your word, we ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. We want eyes that see you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. We want ears that hear your voice, the voice of our good shepherd who calls us by name and leads us out. And we want hearts that are open today, ready to understand more about who we are in you, who you are in us. And we thank you for all the good things and the greater things that are yet to come in our lives because of your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. This is Legacy Church, Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, and it's God's place. We dedicate this place to Him and to His glory. And this church is being built, not just outwardly right now. You can tell by looking, we're under construction. But we're being built spiritually upon the rock of the Word of God. And the scriptures that we're standing on for the building of this church is Ephesians 3.21 that says, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We want whatever gets him glory. Whatever glorifies God, that's what we want happening in this church. So if, being, if people being born again brings him glory, that's what we want and that's what we'll have. If people being healed and delivered and set free all bring him glory, that's what we want and that's what we will have. This is his place. You need to say that out loud together with me right now. Say it. This is your place, Lord. Say it again. This is your place, Lord. Now you need to say that about your own home. Father, this is your place. This is your place. Move into this place. Make yourself at home in this place. Sarah and I, every night when we're putting Justice and Jesse to bed, we pray that together and we invite the Lord to fill up our home, to fill up every room of our home, to fill up our kids' rooms with His presence, with His goodness, with His love, His peace and His joy and everything that is in Him. We make place for it in our home. We're making place for Him in this house. You make place for Him in your house. Invite Him. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I'm gonna kick it down whether you want me in there or not. No, He said, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking. If any man hears my voice, if you let him in, he'll come in. 
He'll sup with you, he said. He'll sit down to a meal with you. You can have the presence of Jesus at the dinner table. You can have the presence of Jesus filling up your home. And that's what we want filling up this house. Glory to God, this is Legacy Church and this is His place. You know, we've spent some time together worshiping the Lord with our singing. You know, we gotta do it in kind of a condensed fashion here online, but I'm so excited about the day that is quickly approaching where we can come together and we can fill up this place and we can sing and it's not just a song or two, but we can actually spend some time together praising and worshiping the Lord because what we worship, we give access to, we give place to, and that's why it's good for us to spend time in worship. Our worship produces something in our lives. There's breakthrough on the other side of our worship. So even though we're online and we don't seem to have the kind of freedom that we might in a service like this together, we'll take what we can get. And I just wanna thank you for taking the time and making the time to spend time like this in worship and in the word of God. So we've worshiped him with our singing, but there's another way we worship the Lord and that's with our giving. And like I said, what you worship, you give access to. Do you want God all up in your business? You want God all up in your finances? You want God all up in what you set your hand to do in your job and your work? Well, give him access to it by being a giver, by being a tither, by being a sower, by being a generous person. You are throwing open the doors wide to God and saying, hey, come on in. I want you involved. I want you in my finances. I want you in my family. You give him place when you worship him with your offering. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look at Third uh, John with me. Just one chapter in Third John. And I wanna look together at a familiar verse as we prepare to give today. Verse two, the apostle John is writing a letter it says in verse one, it's, he's the elder and he's writing to the beloved Gaius. He said, whom I love in truth. In verse two, he said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper, listen to these words, in all things. Now this is the New King James version of this, but listen to what he said. I pray that you prosper. You need to, get, you need to be okay with that word, prosper. It's a Bible word, prosperity. Say it out loud prosperity. Say it again if you have to. Prosperity. Now in what mixed up goofy world do we live in where the word and the concept of prosperity is bad, is wrong, or has a bad connotation that goes with it? You know right away that Satan has worked overtime to put a bad taste in people's mouth in the church when it comes to just the word prosperity. Listen, it's not a dirty word. It's way more than four letters. It's a good word. It's a God word. It's a Bible word. And this man of God being led by the spirit of God is, is, being, is being led to pray this prayer. Beloved, I pray that you would prosper. Now listen to these words again. In all things. Prosperity is not limited to one area or facet of your life. It's not just about the money. It's not just about the money. Can I say it again? It's not just about the money. He said, I'm praying that you would prosper in all things. See, we need to understand that prosperity is something that applies to every area of our life. 
And that's a big part of what the assignment on this church is. You know it from our mission. We tell it to you all the time that this is this place, Legacy Church, is a local church with a global call. And from this place, we reach the nations, teaching people how to live by faith in the day of grace. That just means teaching people how to respond by faith to God's grace. Another part of our assignment is to teach people how to experience a whole life prosperity. That's prospering spirit, soul, and body. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body, and you can prosper in every one of those parts of your life. And they need to be in that order. In other words, prospering financially is nothing if you're broken your soul and broken your spirit. You are not a rich person if you got a lot of money and have no relationship with Jesus. You're not rich. See, we got we to gotta redefine what rich really means. Because for most people, if I were to say, hey, a prosperous person is somebody who has a lot of, and I leave a blank, most people are going to say money. But we've got to redefine. We've got to renew the mind. Prosperity is not limited to one part of our lives. It is available to us spirit, soul, and body, prospering in all things. And being healthy said, just as your soul prospers. That's an interesting statement coming from one person to another person. And this person, John, in this case, is saying to Gaius, the person he's writing to, and he's saying, I know something about your soul. I know something about the condition your soul is in. Now the soul, that's unseen. You don't know about my soul just by looking at me head to toe. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't see it. Of course, it's expressed outwardly, but much of the time, you don't know what's going on in somebody's soul. But, but John writes here and he says, I want you to prosper in every area of your life the way I know you're prospering in your soul. How did he know his soul was prosperous? Well, keep reading. Verse three, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. That's how your soul prospers. When the truth gets in you. When the truth comes alive on the inside and you're not deceived, you don't believe a lie, but the truth comes alive in you. The scripture said, oh Lord, your word is truth. So to say that the word gets in you is to say that the truth gets in you. When the word of God is in you, the word of truth is in you. When Jesus' word gets in you, then truth is in you because he is the way and the truth and the life. You want a prosperous soul? Got to get the truth in. Got to feed on what's true. Got to turn off and turn down and turn out the lies and turn on the truth. Church, we're, we're a church that makes a big deal out of the word of God. You don't need more of my opinion. You don't need more of my own thoughts on something. What you do need is the word of God. And that's why we go before the Lord week in, week out and prepare a meal and serve you with the word of God. That's, the, that's the, one of the biggest parts of our assignment to serve another generation with the word of God. And it's in that serving that we teach them how to live by faith. It's in that serving of the word that we teach them how to prosper in every area of life. It's in the serving of the word that we teach people how to raise a family in the household of faith. But if the truth's not in you, I don't care how much money is in the bank. If there's no truth, you're broke. If there's no truth, 
you're poor. If there's no truth, you're in poverty. But right on the other hand, I don't care how much money is not in the bank. If you got the truth in you, you're a rich man. You're a rich woman because what's in you has the ability to produce something on the outside. And that's how God has always intended for us to live life from the inside out. Let him go to work on the inside and let what he does in there produce what's going on on the outside. And I'm declaring it in Jesus' name that Legacy Church is a church full of prosperous people. Prosperous spirit, prosperous in the soul, prosperous in the body. That, that's the health and the strength of your body, materially, financially, prospering in all things. Say it out loud. We are prospering in all things, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. That's what's available to us. Well, you know, we've been in a buy up and build out project together coming to you again from the sanctuary here at the church where good things are happening. Great things are happening, not just in the sanctuary, but in spaces throughout the building. We've had volunteers here for the last week or two that are coming in and saying, hey, I can paint. I can rip up carpet. I can pull weeds. And we've got people that are so faithful. And I thank God for these people who are volunteering. You know, we've spent weeks now, weeks and weeks in church talking about the culture that we want to create in this place. And it's one of faith and love, but that love is expressed through serving. So as these volunteers that you see right now in these pictures, what they're doing, it may look like they're painting a wall, but really what they're doing is loving you. It may look like they're laying carpet or scrubbing a floor, but really what they're doing is loving God and serving Him by serving you. So that's why we make these opportunities available. And if you're not yet a volunteer or have signed up for one of our service teams, then that form is available to you online at legacychurch.family. Go ahead, jump on, fill that out. This is your opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God. And the reason I'm saying this is not just because we need help, but it's because I love you and I want the best for you. And I want you to prosper in a way that I, I know only comes by seeking first the kingdom and serving with your time, with your effort, with your energy, and of course, financially, what we're doing right now in receiving this offering. So we're making good progress in our buy up and build out project. You know, we're up over 80% done now. I can put some information for you on the screen. You can see how far we've come. Look how good God is and has been. And if he's been this good, you think he's about to leave us now? No, he's gonna get us all the way. We are going all the way with this thing and it won't be long. We're watching it come together. I told you a few weeks ago about some of the things that have come up, the needs that uh, we need to attain, uh, uh, attend to outside the building. The county is, is um, very clear with us about what we need to have accomplished before we can have people in the sanctuary. So that's what we're working towards. We've got all the money we need to finish out this space in the sanctuary, which includes the hundreds of thousands required just for audio and for video and for lighting. All that's in the bank. All the money that we need to finish the construction is in the bank, glory to God. And we've got a huge chunk of what we need to do the outside. We're really coming down to it. I mean, it's a little difficult or it can be to put exact numbers things fluctuate, but I, I am telling you, God has been faithful and we've got just about what we need to get this place open, but let's just keep with it. Let's stay aggressive in our faith. Let's stay aggressive in our giving. And all you have to do is what Jesus tells you to do. And if you will do your part and I'll do my part 
and he and she and they will do their part. We will get this thing done. That's the power of partnership. And, and what we're building here is not a platform for me. This is a platform from which we, not me, we reach the nations. And that's you. So if you're a part of this church, then what you're a part of is a local church with a global call. So as you go before the Lord today in preparation to give, find out what your part is in it. Because it's, it may not be the same as mine. It may not be the same as somebody else's, but you have a unique assignment and you are called to support something, some kingdom project somewhere. And this is a good one to invest in because the, when we sow in faith and we sow in love, then every seed reproduces after its own kind. So whatever God's called you to buy up, whatever he's called you to build out, you can sow in faith into this, believing that the harvest is on its way, enabling you to do all God's called you to do. So if you wanna be a part of our offering today, you can do that. A number of ways you can do it. If you'd like to text your offering, you can. I know you got your phone on you like right now. You can text it just by simply texting the word legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950. That's for US uh, viewers only. Legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950. Now, when you text your offering, that's going to go into the general operations of the church, which is a great place to sow as well. And we're believing God to build that up and have everything we need, not just for the daily operations of the church, taking care of our staff, uh, making sure the television ministry continues, ministering to the needs of our partners and so on. But that's where we do our giving from. So when you sow into that uh, account in the church, then well over 10% goes back out of this place into other ministers, into other ministries and missionaries. And we're supporting several things right now, things going on in places around the world, people who are doing bigger things than we are. And we love being a part of that. And it's an honor and a privilege. And so when you sow into the general operations, that's what you are giving to as well. If you wanna give online, you can do that at legacychurch.family. There's a giving page. And on that page, you'll have both op options, either the buy up and build out project or the general operations of the church. And wherever you designate it, that's where it will go. And if you'd like to write a check, make it payable to Legacy Church in the memo portion of your check. If you want it to go to the buy up and build out project, designate it there. Otherwise it will go into the general operations of the church, be led and wherever the Lord would lead you, that's where it needs to go. If you're writing a check and you wanna put it in the mail, use the address that you you see right there on your screen. Father, in Jesus' name, Sarah and I come into agreement with the congregation and the family of Legacy Church. Lord, there are many who are sowing today. There are many who are sowing in response to the leadership of your spirit. There are many who are sowing out of the abundance of love that they have for you and for your people. But I'm asking you, Lord, to see their seed and receive their seed, to see it and receive it and to accept it, Lord, and then to honor it by bringing into their lives harvest and a return on everything that they've sown and causing them to prosper and causing them to know that this seed into the church and into the ministry of obedience was what opened the door for you to go to work in their finances. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And as the pastors of this church, we call this family blessed in Jesus' name. We speak increase over your life. May you be increased more and more, you and your children. And may everything you set your hand to do in God prosper in Jesus' name. Glory to God. We are looking forward to the day when the people in this community here in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado Springs, Woodland Park, where the people in the community start to recognize those who are a part of this church as prosperous people. 
not just because they drive something fancy or wear something fancy or live in something big. All, all those things are fine and they're good, but they don't come first. What we want people to see is the goodness of God on you. We want them to see that the truth got in you, that you're walking in the truth, that you're living according to the truth and look what the truth is doing for you. Amen. And that day is coming. Glory to God. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, I want to go together to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. And if you're still giving, take your time. Do what you need to do. Glory to God. He is helping us strengthening us. We are going from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Have you noticed this about God? In Him, everything is up. Everything is, is progressively increasing and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And that is one of the indicators that your own fellowship with Him is growing, that you're getting stronger. And getting stronger physically is a good thing. Let me ask you, is it better to be stronger or weaker physically? Well, stronger. Stronger is better. What about mentally? Better to be stronger or weaker? Stronger. You know that, right? What about financially? Is it better to be stronger or weaker? Stronger. Stronger is always better. With the exception of certain smells, stronger is always better. Amen? Well, what about spiritually? Huh? What about relationally? Well, our fellowship with God it's supposed to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger, not weaker. In the same way that our fellowship and our relationship with each other is supposed to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I look back across the almost 13 years now that Sarah and I have been married. And I, I can honestly say that I can look at those years and see where we've gotten stronger and stronger and stronger in our fellowship, stronger and stronger in our relationship. And I thank God for it. It's nothing but the goodness and the grace of God. And I thank God for a godly woman. I thank God for his word that he's given us to stand on in our marriage and in our family. But all of it is designed to increase strength. And that's what, when the body is in need of a miracle, what you're really needing is more strength. What you're needing is stronger life in you. Where there's sickness, there's weakness. But where there's health, there's strength. So that's what I'm believing God for today as we come into his word, that there would be an increase of strength in every area of our lives. Amen. Matthew chapter 12. We left off with something last week in church. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back to the Legacy Church podcast and get caught up with us. We've been talking for weeks, if not months now, in a series that we called Renovation and Transformation. And our foundation for that was in the book of Romans chapter 12 that tells us in verse two, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means the renovating of your mind. In the same way that this building is being renovated, in that process, it will be transformed. It's turning from one thing into something else entirely. I mean, this room I'm standing in used to be a gym. When we bought this place, there was this nasty blue vinyl floor that was peeling up in places and there were basketball goals hanging from the ceiling and it was just rough. But you know what? It's turning into something else. But for it to get to where it needs to go, it's got to go through the renovation process. And that same thing has to take place in our hearts and in our minds. And last week, we, we finished that up. Um, I believe we got to a good place where we can keep moving on from there now. But what we talked about was having the same mind. 
Do you remember the scriptures? More than one, more than two. We looked at just three scriptures from the book of Romans, from 1 Peter, from Philippians. that all said the same thing. Have the same mind. Be of the same mind. Be like-minded. And specifically, what mind are we supposed to have? It's the mind of Christ. We are supposed to have His mind. Well, that is definitely not the mind you were born with. That's definitely not the mind of the natural man. That's definitely not the mind of the flesh. So how are we gonna end up with the mind of Christ? If all we've had is our own mind, how do we get out of that and get into His? Renovate, renovate to transform. When there's renovation, there's transformation. Be of the same mind, one mind. Now think about what a miracle that is, what a miracle that would be. <laughs> if you had more than one person, just two people who had the same mind, two people who thought the same way. And the moment you introduce another person into the mix, you then have opportunity for conflict. You've got opportunity for not one vision, but two. Not, not one way of thinking, but two or more. Now, what a miracle it would be if you could get two people to have the same mind. How much more of a miracle would it be if you could get an entire church to have the same mind? Now, that doesn't mean everybody comes to church and we all dress exactly alike and we all talk exactly alike and we all have the same opinions and we all have the exact same tastes and there's no difference between us. That's not what that's about. Having the same mind, having the mind of Christ, we saw from the book of Philippians means we take on the form of a servant because his mind, in his mind, the scripture says it wasn't robbery for him to be called equal with God. In other words, he wasn't taking anything away from God to be called his equal. But yet, even though he had that place in that position, he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant and he preferred you, he preferred me. And that's why Paul wrote in that chapter and said, fulfill ye my joy, make me happy, he's saying. You know what would make me happier than anything is if you were all like-minded. He said, loving each other in one accord and be of one mind. Don't let anything, he said, be done through selfish ambition, I can put the scripture on the screen for you, but he said, not through selfish ambition or that strife or conceit. The King James says, vain glory. Don't let anything be done motivated by you getting people to notice or to look or to pay attention to you. Let everything be done, he said, through love. That's the mind of Christ. Now we can all have that mind. You might like this kind of car and I might like that one. You might like these kind of clothes and I might like those. You might prefer this kind of food. You might like spicy, I might like sweet. We might have a bunch of different opinions, but when it comes to the way we view each other and the value that we put on each other, let's all be of one mind, the mind of Christ. And if you remember, I left you last week with something Jesus said, and I wanna look at that beginning today here in Matthew chapter 12, and we'll pick up with what he said and build on where we've been for the last several weeks. In Matthew chapter 12, just begin in verse 22. We'll read a few verses here together. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 22, it says, one was brought to him, to Jesus, 
who was, notice this, demon-possessed, blind, and mute. Now, this guy's in rough shape. I think we could probably all agree on that. They brought somebody to Jesus who was demon-possessed, and he was blind, and he was mute. Man, he is in a rough condition. But what I love is what the scripture says next. And he healed him. That's just it. That's all it says. And he healed him. There is nobody too far gone. There is nobody in too much pain. There is nobody in too much hurt. There is nobody too sick. There is nobody who's been told their condition is too impossible that Jesus can't touch. Here's somebody who was not just blind and not just mute, but it was a spirit that, is, that was driving that. And Jesus healed him. And I love that there's really a not, not a lot of fanfare about it. Not a real big deal. They brought this guy. He was in sad shape. Jesus healed him. The guy came one way. He left in a different way. And that's really the way we need to be every time we come into the presence of Jesus. So much has been said in the church, and I understand the heart behind it, when people say, come as you are, right? Just come as you are to Jesus. And that's good. He has made that available to us. He, he hasn't said, you go get cleaned up and then come to me. You go, you go get made right. You go be holy and then come to me. He has made a place and a way for us to come as we are. But I think in our saying that, we've left people with the impression, come as you are and just stay that way. But that was never the idea. That was never the plan of God. His plan was always come as you are and then let me fix it. Come as you are, come into my presence, Jesus says, and then let me heal it. Let me change it. Don't come as you are and leave as you are. Come as you are and leave well. Come as you are and leave whole. Come as you are and leave strong. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what's going to happen every time you and I come to church. If you'll expect it, if you'll believe it, and you'll be open to it, that will happen for you every time you come. I'm believing it. I don't mean that in any kind of arrogant way because it's not because of me. It is all because of Jesus. But if we will come even as we are, hurting, coming to his presence even as we are, if it's lacking of some kind, sick or, or hurting in our relationship with each other, come as we are, but leave as he is. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Glory to God. So Jesus healed the man and the mute man both spoke and saw, it says in verse 23, all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Now I want you to notice what Jesus said in verse 25. Some very powerful things here. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom, I want you to say every kingdom, every kingdom. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city, say every city. So we've talked about every kingdom. Now we're talking about every city, every city. And then he said, or house. So say every house, every kingdom, every city, every house, he said, divided against itself will not stand. Every kingdom divided against itself, he said, it will not stand. 
He said, it will be brought to desolation. He said, every city divided against itself will not stand, cannot stand. And every house divided against itself will not stand. Jesus is addressing society at every level. You've got the kingdom, the royalty, governing individuals, governing parties that have say, not just in the realm of their governance or in the realm of their kingdom, but they exist on a global platform and decisions they make and, and the things they say in the kingdom affect beyond themselves in relation to other kingdoms and other places around the world. So that's a high level, right? Well, then he comes down, he says, the same thing's true in every city. Well, a city is a smaller version of that or it's affecting a smaller circle of people. But then he applied the same truth, not only to the kingdom and the city, but to the house. So he's talking about society at every single level, all the way from the highest places of government down to the house next door. He's talking about what takes place in the halls of Congress, what takes place in city hall and what takes place in the hallway between your bedroom and bathroom. He's talking about what goes on at every level. There's truth that applies there. And what he said was a kingdom, a city or a house divided against itself cannot, will not stand. It won't continue. It won't endure. He said it'll come to desolation. Now we've talked about this last week. It was something Sarah had actually mentioned the week previous in church. But you remember what she said? She said, we will have in this church whatever we preach. And that's true. We will have in this place what we preach in this place. And what we're building right now is not just a church building. What we're building is not just an institution. It's not just a structure. We're building a house. We are building a house. This is God's house. We're building a house for him and for his presence. And I know we are his house and his presence lives in us, but we are building a place that is completely and totally and solely dedicated to him. And where he gets to say and to do whatever he wants to say and to do, this is his place. This is his house. And that's what we're building here. And we will have in this house what we preach in this house. So if we want people coming into this house who don't know Jesus and we want them to meet him and to be saved, then guess what we're gonna have to do? We're gonna have to preach salvation. If we want people coming into this place who are sick and infirmed and diseased and diagnosed with, with disease in their body and we want them healed, well, guess what we're gonna have to do? We're gonna have to preach it. We're gonna have to preach that by the stripes of Jesus, you were and you are healed. We're going to have to preach that and we'll have it. I said, we will have it. We'll have those miracles because we'll preach that. Because when we preach it, like we said last week, faith comes. That's how faith comes. You hear the word, you hear the word, you hear the word and faith rises on the inside of you. And when you hear the anointed word preached on anything, salvation, faith to be born again rises up. When you find out how much God loves you and the high price he paid for you, faith to receive that comes up in your heart. When you hear the high price that he paid, not just for your salvation, but your total salvation, including the healing of your body, faith rises on, on the inside and says, I am healed, 
regardless of what I see, what I feel, and what anybody else has said, I agree with God's word. And if his word says I'm healed, I'm healed. That's faith talking. That's faith talking. And we'll have it because we'll preach it. I believe we'll have miracles of family restoration in this place. Husbands and wives who come in these doors just about two and a half inches from divorce will sit under the anointed word and will hear the word on love and peace and harmony and how to live a strife-free life and faith to have that in their own home will rise. And they'll leave this place going, we're not quitting. We're not done. God's not done with us. We can make it and they'll flourish. We're going to have that. But if we want to have that, we got to preach that. We will have, and this is what Sarah said, we'll have in this church, we'll have in this house, what we preach in this church, what we preach in this house. And like I said to you last week, you can have in your own house, whatever you preach. So if you preach salvation, your kids will be saved. If you preach healing, your children, your family will be well and be strong. If you preach abundance, regardless of what you see in the bank, if you preach it and you believe it, you'll have it. But to have it, you gotta preach it. That's how faith comes. And we'll have it in this house. We will have in this house that we're building, we'll have what we preach. But right on the other hand, Sarah also said, we'll have in this house whatever we allow. So if there are some things that we fail to resist, then that's what'll be in here. And the reason I bring this up is because of what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 12, specifically in verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be brought to desolation. Every city or house, he said, divided against itself will not stand. He said some of these same things. It was recorded in Mark chapter three. Let me read that to you from verse 25. Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. It's not possible. Now, it's not talking about coming under attack from someplace outside the house. It's not, he's not talking about a kingdom coming under attack from a kingdom outside of this one. He's talking about what's going on in this one. And if a kingdom or a city or a house is divided against itself, it won't stand. And the reason I bring up all three of these places in society is because you and I need to recognize it's the same stinking spirit that's driving division in the House of Congress, in the po political arena of this nation and others, it's that same stinking spirit that's driving division in your house, in the house down the street, in our houses. And we gotta wake up to this thing because if we want any of our houses, this one included, to stand, to have any chance of lasting and continuing, we gotta deal with the division. And if we don't want division, then we can't allow division. Because we'll have in this place whatever we let in. Whatever we fail to resist will come right in and make its home. Man, if you got a bunch of wild animals, if you got a bunch of snakes, if you got a bunch of stuff outside the house that you know could kill you, don't leave the door open, right? Don't just leave the door open and then wonder how'd all this stuff get in? 
How'd these guys get in here? How'd this bear get in? How'd this wolf get in? How'd this snake get in? You left the door open. We'll have in this house, not just what we preach, that'll be a good thing. But right on the other side of that, if we allow some stuff to go on, if we allow and refuse to shut the door on the stuff that doesn't belong in this house, we'll have to put up with that. But if we want this place, not just to start, but to last, come on, starting's easy. Anybody can start something, anybody. I could start a marathon. Oh yeah, I could start one right now. Right now I could start one. I, there's no way I could finish one. Finishing's a whole different story. Lasting is a whole different thing. That's what honors God. He's not so impressed with our ability to start. That's a good thing. And it takes faith to start. But what he wants to see is us last and continue. And if we want there to be any chance, any hope for this place to last, there's no room for division. None. Now, the, the thing is, today, just like last week, just like the week before, just like all the weeks leading up to this, these things that we're talking about are beyond important. They are foundational to the life and the health of this church. And as such, we can't just say them one time and then be done. No, you better get used to this. You're gonna be hearing us say this a lot, that there is no room, no place, no space for division in this house. And that really needs to be the same attitude you take about your house as a family, husbands, fathers, as the head of the family. This needs to be coming out of our mouths. There is no room for division in this house. Why? Because a divided house cannot stand. But I, I, I see, even though this is a sobering word, I hear good news in it. The good news I hear is that even though a divided house can't stand, an undivided house can't fall. An undivided house can't fail. And that's what we are building. Glory to God. I'm declaring it today. This is a undivided house. I want to talk to you today about an undivided house or a house undivided. We're familiar with that, that phrase, a divided house. We know Jesus said it. Um, I was looking back at this at some things Abraham Lincoln said about it before he was President Lincoln and he was running for the Senate seat of the state of Illinois. He gave a speech called A House Divided. And it was in such a tumultuous time in this nation where there was such division, division. We'll talk about what that means in a moment, but there was two distinct and opposite ways of thinking, two distinct and opposite directions that people were trying to take this country in. And Abraham Lincoln in a speech, while he was running for that Senate seat, he stood up and said, a house divided cannot stand. And he began to talk about how he said, look, I don't expect this house to fall, but I do expect us to either go one way or the other because we can't go both. We are either gonna be a free country or we're gonna be a country that enslaves people, but we cannot be both. I mean, think about what critical words he spoke. 
Think about the weight of those words and the direction that our country took after his presidency and the freedom that he gave to people. And it came out of this belief that we cannot be divided on this. If we're divided on it, we will fall. Divided, we fall, but united, what happens? We stand. So in this house, in this house, there is no place for division. Let me read this to you, uh, Mark 3.25 from the Living Bible. Jesus said, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Wow, that's strong, isn't it? A home filled with strife and division. And these two things you see go together all the time. Where there's strife, there's division. Where there's division, it's because of strife. Where there's distance, where there's separation. And that's what division is. I mean, think back to elementary. Think back to, you know, whatever it is, third grade, about the time you started learning division, second grade, third grade. And think back to those, those um, math pages where they would have little pictures for you to help you understand division. Here you've got four apples. And if you divide it by two, how many, how many groups do you have? Well, you divide four into two groups and you've got two groups of apples. You know, think about that picture. That's what division is. It is to divide, to separate, separate to faction into groups. If you divide four two times, then you've got two groups. If you divide 12 three times, you've got four groups. See, you didn't know your pastor was a math scholar, did you? But that's the truth, right? That's what division is. It is to separate and it is to put into separate factions and into separate groups. And there's no place for division in the house in this house. There's place for it in third grade on your math page, but there is no place for division in this house. This is God's place. Again, this verse from the Living Bible, Mark 3:25, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. You see, Satan plants seeds of division. This is his whole MO, division, to get between and to separate. That's been his plan from, for all of human history. His plan was to get between Adam and Eve, to get between them and, and God and to create distance and to create separation and to take something and people, someone, some, some people who were one and to make two out of them. That's division. And that's his whole thing because he knows that if he can divide, he can destroy. Divide and conquer. That's Satan's whole plan. That's been his whole plan from, from, for all of human history. He knows if he can divide, he can destroy. But he also knows that to divide, he's probably gonna have to deceive. So if Satan can deceive us, he can divide us. And if he can divide us, he can destroy us. Now, it may, it may require deception. He may have to plant a seed of something in your mind or in somebody else's to get you thinking wrong about somebody else, to get you believing wrong about somebody else and what they think about you or what they feel about you or what they've said about you. But if he can get that seed to plant, if he can get it to take root, and if he can get you to water it and allow it to sprout and then bear fruit, then he can get between you and, and the one that you were close to and create distance, that's division and that house cannot stand. It'll fall. But on the other side, if he can't deceive you 
then he can't divide us. And if he can't divide us, then he can't destroy us. Oh, come on, that's good news this morning. Isn't that good? Husbands, wives, listen to me. If Satan can't deceive the two of you into believing that each other is the enemy, then he can't divide you. And if he can't divide you, he cannot destroy that house. Glory to God. Come on, glory to God. If he can't deceive you, he can't divide you. But it takes that deception to make you believe that somebody else is your problem. That the person in the house, not somebody outside the house, that somebody in the house is the problem. And do you know, I believe this is why the American political landscape, the political landscapes and arenas of places around the world is such a turnoff to so many people. It's so agitating and it's so frustrating. And that's because that spirit, that spirit of strife is an agitating spirit. Man, it just makes people mad. It makes people mad at this one and mad at that one. And they, there are people, there are whole political parties that believe the other political party is the enemy. And they spend their time fighting them and fighting them and fighting them. And now what we're seeing is perhaps some of the greatest division among us that we've ever seen. And if Satan can deceive us, he can divide us. And if he can divide us, he can destroy us. That's what we're seeing right now. Many of the streets in America are on fire because people allowed division in, allowed us to be divided, separated into groups. We were one, we were the human race. But then somebody came along and said, no, let's divide this. Let's create categories. The same way we would categorize animals, we categorize species, we categorize food. Let's categorize people and let's, let, let's make a category and we'll call it white. Even though none of them are actually white, it's more of a peachish brownish color. Let's just call them white. And then let's get this other category. We'll call them black. Even though most of them in and aren't actually black, they're, they're who knows how many different shades, but let's just categorize them. And what we'll do is we'll put division between them. And we got tricked. We got deceived into believing that those two differences was enough to separate us. And because we got deceived into believing it, then we were divided. And that division is destructive. Glory to God. If he can't deceive us, he can't divide us. If he can't divide us, he can't destroy us. We need to look at the things that do attempt to divide. Because if we'll identify what divides, then by default, what we're identifying is what will unite us. If we recognize the things that, that tries to create division, then on the flip side and the opposite of it, we'll know, okay, well, this over here is what unites us. This over here is what brings unity. Now, unity, oh, this is one of the big things to God. This is one of the things he's after from his kids. He wants his kids walking in love. He wants his kids with how many minds? One mind. That's unity. That's togetherness. That's oneness. Be of the same mind. And that's what he wants for his kids. Just like you, if you got more than one kid, what does it do for you on the inside to see them getting along? 
to see them enjoying each other and to play with each other. And Sarah and I, we got a lot to learn about parenting. I'll tell you that we are far from perfect at it, but there are a few things that we have established in our home as policy, if you will, coming down from the head. And one of the chief policies in our house is there is no strife. And Justice and Jesse will hear us say it. Now, they are, they're good. They play so good together. They love each other and we're so thankful for it. But just like kids, they're also just like grownups. And they pick sometimes. And, and they've, after they've spent a lot of time together, they can wear each other out maybe. But I, I would say for the 99% of the time, they're walking in love and enjoying each other. But that 1% of the time when somebody gets irritated and little, a little fuss, a little fight starts to come up, we just don't give it place because what we allow, we have to put up with in our house. So we let them know, guys, no strife. There is no strife. But what we tell them instead of, hey, y'all just shut up. We say, no, that's not the way we work this out. I talked to Justice. He's our 10 year old. He's three years older than his sister. So I say to him, buddy, you got to find a way to work this out. There's got to be words that we use that we can communicate with each other that gets this worked out, but we're not having this strife. If you got to go to a different room for a few minutes, go to a different room, but we're not having this strife. Whatever it takes to get the strife out because a house divided can't stand. So we got to identify the things that attempt to divide us. I've taken a lot longer than I intended to here, but go with me to the book of Genesis. Well, I guess we'll have to continue this uh, in next week's service. But in Genesis chapter 13, I want to look at an account from the life of Abram who would later be Abraham and the man that the scripture points to as the father of our faith. His life is an example. The way he lived his life is an example for us of what faith looks like. And it's why the spirit of God through the apostle Paul used Abraham's life as the example to communicate to us what had happened through Jesus. You ever wondered about that? Why is Abraham not just an Old Testament guy, but a New Testament guy? It's because his life, Abram's life, Abraham's life was built on one thing, faith in God, faith in the word of God. See, the, the law that got introduced later was hundreds of years later. So there was none of that between Abraham and God. The only thing between Abraham and God was God's love for this man and this man's faith in his God. And when Jesus did what he did and redeemed us and satisfied the penalty of sin and paid the price and satisfied and fulfilled the whole law, what he did was took us back to a time when there was nothing between us and God, but God's love for us and our faith in his love. That's why he uses the life of Abraham to preach the message of Jesus. So let me show you something from his life regarding what we're talking about today. And one of the things that we identify that brings division is strife, strife. Now we've talked about it in previous weeks, but I believe the Lord would keep having us talk about it and having us talk about it. Why? Because what we allow, we got to put up with. And if we allow strife in this house, then you got to, we have to put up with the effects of it. We have to put up with the confusion that comes with it. We've got to put up with the division that comes with the strife. And I have no time for that. As a pastor, as a leader of this place, I've got no time to put up with petty confusion and petty strife and petty division. 
And in Jesus' name, this house is not fallen because of strife and division that came in through strife. So I want you to see something here in Abram's life. In Genesis chapter 13, uh, we'll just begin in verse one. We'll read several verses here. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him. To the south, verse two, Abram was very rich in livestock. That's what God will do for you. In silver, that's what God will do for you. And in gold, that's what God will do for you. He went, out on his, he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Verse six says, now the land was not able to support them. That's how much they had grown. I mean, all of this is an example of what you and I can have. It's the same God that did it for him that'll do it for you. The land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Verse seven says, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Verse eight, notice Abram's response to all this. So Abram said to Lot, just listen to the first word out of his mouth. You ready? Please. Wow. Please. Now here's a man who's the elder, who's the patriarch. He's the one that because he's rich, Lot's rich. Anything and everything Lot's got is because of this guy. And when there's this strife arose, Abraham would have been well within his right to demand Lot to do something, to be hard, to be harsh. But notice the first word out of his mouth, please. This is a sign of a truly spiritual person. Please. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked in church out of Proverbs chapter 15, where the, where the word of the Lord said, a, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word does what? Stirs up anger. Turn away, when you look that up, that means to go back. So when somebody comes at you and they're angry and they're hot and they're burning mad, you can, you can turn that away. You in your answer and how you respond can literally take it back in time to before they were even upset. That's what a soft answer has the power to do. But a harsh word, he said, stirs up the anger. Stirs up, we look it up, it means to, to ascend, to go up. We would say escalate. When somebody comes at you mad and you match that same, that same tone, you match that same temper, you match that same tempo, Man, it escalates. You go from zero to 60 in 2.1 seconds and now it's a full-blown fight. Why? Because the word was harsh. But spiritual people, listen to me, spiritual people don't tolerate strife. They don't put up with it. They don't allow it. They don't leave a door open to it. Now, I know it creeps in. I get it. Sarah and I, we're just like you. We've had moments in our marriage. We've had discussions, so to speak. But here, here's the difference. When something escalates and it gets past the point of being a godly conversation and it's just flesh and it's just emotion, what do you do then? 
Huh? Even if you are the one who you just know you're right. You just know that how you see it is the right way to see it. You just know that what you think is the right way to think about it. Let me ask you this question. Is it better to be right or righteous? Hmm? Is it better to be right or to be right in the eyes of God? You got to answer that question. And if you are more interested in being right in the eyes of God than you are improving your rightness to your spouse, then what you'll do is you'll tone the whole thing down with a soft word. This is how spiritual people do this. Why? Because they got no time for division. Whatever this argument about is not worth this whole house falling. It's not worth letting this deception in. It's not worth letting this division in. And it's certainly not worth being destroyed over. So what do we do? We turn it down. We turn it back with a soft word. What did Abram say? Please. That's a good example of a soft word, isn't it? Please. He said to Lot in verse eight, please let there be no strife between me and you, between you and me, he said, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brethren, we're family. I love Abram's approach to this. This is what a spiritual person looks like. Please, Lot, don't let there be anything between us. See, that's what Satan does. He wants to get between. Two people, a man and a wife, husband and wife, who stood at an altar, and in the eyes of God and in the eyes of everybody there, the two became one. And what Satan loves to do is to try to get in between there and make them two again. And what he does is he plants little seeds, little deceptions, little thoughts that just get you thinking in a self-centered way. Well, I don't like the way they said that. No, you, you jerk and you just, you always treat me that way and you always do this. And be careful about using that word always because my personal opinion is there's nobody that always does anything. Man, we're people. We do it one way this time and another way that time. But Satan tricks people into believing that person, that per they don't love you because they always do this. They always say this. And if you will buy into that lie, you will forget in an instant every good thing they've ever said. Every faithful word they've ever said to you. Every loving and kind thing they've ever said or done because you believe the lie that they always say it like this. They always do this. That little deception. If you believe it, if you let that seed take root, how do you do that? By thinking about it and 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 thinking about it all the time. Every moment you give attention to that, every thought you give to that, you're letting that seed sink deeper and deeper and deeper. You're letting those roots spread out and get stronger and stronger and stronger. And soon enough, that seed is going to sprout up. And if you let that thing continue to grow and continue to grow, it will produce fruit, not just soon. It won't just be something going on in your own heart and your own head. Now it's coming out of your mouth and that deception will result in division. Two people who were one were, were one got divided into two. And if he can get you to believe the lie, then he can work the division. 
And if that division is allowed to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow, it'll, the whole thing will be destroyed. What do we call two people who were married but have fought so much and so long and so hard that they no longer live together? This one's over here and this one's over here. They are going through a separation. There's a legal name for it, separation. It's the opposite of closeness. I believe that's what we're going to talk about next week in church. But this is what Abram, Abram is saying to Lot. Don't let there be this thing between us. Now, we already know that the land couldn't handle them. So to end this strife, something's going to have to be done. And Abram's got the wisdom for it. He says, look, verse nine, is not the whole land before you? Please, there it is again. Please separate from me. Now, this, this isn't like I never want to see you again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, this land, we're so prosperous that this little piece of land isn't enough. So here's what I want you to do. He's saying, you separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, the, the right I'll go to the left. This is how spiritual people talk. They don't fight for their own. They don't fight for their own way. They don't fight for their own thing. They don't look out for themselves first. Abram's saying, look, we got lots of good land and I'm going to let you choose. You go that way. That's fine. That's good. I'll go over here. But if you want that, that's good too. I'll go over here. This is a peacemaker. Why? Because the destruction of this house is, is not worth this little petty argument. Maybe I should say it like this. The, 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 the herdsmen not getting along. These guys fighting with each other over who gets whose cow gets what grass and who gets to drink out of what well, that none of that is worth this whole house being destroyed. So what Abram's doing is whatever he's got to do to stop the strife. I want you to hear his words again. Please let there be no strife. That's the attitude of a spiritual person. And that's what we're going to have in this church. I'm saying it to you as your pastor. I want you living this way and coming to church this way. Please, no strife between us. This house needs to stand. This house needs to last. This house needs to continue. And I'll tell you right now, there will never be a split in this house. Never going to be a church split here. No, not one. Why? We won't allow it. Doors closed to it. Well, how can you control it? How can you be sure? Oh, I can be sure. We won't have it. We will not have that kind of strife. A split, what's a split? You were one, you got divided, now you're two. We're not having that. This house is gonna last. Glory to God. There's so much more we can say here, but I want you to notice what happened. Down in verse 14, after Lot had picked the good land for himself and Abram gave it to him. In verse 14, it says that the Lord said to Abram, notice this though, after Lot had separated from him, or you could say it like this, when there was no more strife, the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke. This is what I know about strife. It's noisy. It, it's like we said, it's agitating. It, it, it reverberates and it can be hard to give attention to anything else when you are in a knockdown, drag out fight especially that one, one that lasts days or weeks or months at a time. But as soon as this strife was over, 
What's the very next thing that happened? The Lord spoke. If, if you're in a place in your life where you don't believe you're hearing from God like you can be, like you should be, maybe like you have in the past, this is where the, one of the places I want you to check up on. Is there strife? Is there strife in the house? Is there strife in the family? Because Jesus said, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. So if you are in desperate need of hearing the voice of God and it's been too long, this is one of the first places you got to check. Is there strife? Have we let strife in? Are we allowing strife? And I'm not just talking about, you know, having a fuss. Everybody does. Okay, we do. But what do you do with it? Huh? How long do you let it last? I'll give you a little piece of advice. Don't let the sun go down with strife in the house. And if you got to swallow some pride and say, baby, my fault. Whether you think it was or not, if it will turn it down, if it will end the strife, it makes you right in the eyes of God. Who do you want to be right in the eyes of? Your spouse, your family, or your God? I'll tell you, being right in his eyes is far more important. But what God spoke to Abram in verse 14, after the strife had ended, God said, lift your eyes now. It's almost like God saying, now I can say this to you. Now I can get this over to you. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. You want to know what that is? That's vision. That's vision beyond Abram's own life. That's vision beyond just his household. That's vision for generations to come. Vision, vision, vision. When did God give him this vision after the die vision was gone? Can you see that? Die vision, two visions. One wanting to go this way, one wanting to go this way. But as soon as the division was gone, here comes one vision from God. Can you see how important this is? And I'll tell you in this house, this legacy church house, there's not two visions. There's not three visions. Sarah doesn't have a vision for this place and I have a different one. We don't have a board that has a different vision. And we're not going to have a congregation with a different vision. There will be one vision in this house. And if there's just one, then there can never be two which is die vision. One vision. What's the vision of this place? Well, Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church. That's the vision of this place. That whatever happens in here be to and for the glory of God. The vision of this place is for this place to be a local church with a global call who's got an assignment to serve another generation with the word of God, teach them how to live by faith in the day of grace, teach them how to prosper in every area of their life, spirit, soul, and body, teach them how to raise a family in the household of faith. That's the vision. That's the mission and assignment on this place. And we're going to stick to it. And I don't care if pressure comes from every direction to be or to fulfill another vision. We won't do it. Because where there is two visions, die vision, there's strife. And where there's strife, there's confusion. 
You want to know how to confuse a staff, a church staff? Give them two different visions. Say we're going to do this and then come say we're going to do that. That's confusing. Where there's strife, where there's division, there is confusion in every evil work. One vision. One vision. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because whatever goes on in this house, help me out, church, is supposed to be going on where? Where? Your house. Your house. So your house needs how many visions? One. One vision. And you better get it out of the heart of God, not out of your head. Get it straight out of the heart of God. Father, what is your vision for this family? What have you called us to? What have you anointed us to do? Not just what's your job, what's your kingdom and ministry assignment in your life? And then raise your family with that vision. Family, this is who we are. Family, this is how we do things. And your kids are gonna find out that if you are committed to living and walking by faith, that's a different vision. They're gonna find out that the kids they go to school with, for the most part, have no even frame of reference for what that means. And they're gonna come home having heard that. And man, that doesn't sound like what I hear at home. And you're gonna to have to help them as a parent and say, that's a different vision. That's a different, different way of living. That's strife. People outside this house of faith, they live for themselves. They serve themselves. They meet their own needs. They're their own God. We have a different vision in this house. We have a different vision in this house. And our vision in this house is to live for the things of God, is to seek first the kingdom of God. Our vision in this house is to prioritize his things. Our vision in this house isn't to be casual church goers. We are committed people because we know there's a flow of life coming out of this place into our, host, into our house. That's a different vision. Amen. One vision, be of one mind. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Well, thank you, Lord. I believe he's helped us today. There's a lot more that needs to be said and will be said about this. But as for this house, we are a house undivided. And if a, if a house divided can't stand, then a house undivided can't fall. And that's what I pray over you and your house today in Jesus' name. May you rise up and be stronger and stronger and stronger. And may the foundation of your home be firm on the word of God. Church, we love you. We're honored to be your pastors. We're honored to stand with you in agreement for every good thing you need and every good thing you desire from God. And we're honored to serve you with his word. We bless you today. We love you so much. And we'll see you again next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.